Welcome to Upholding Matters, a podcast devoted to talking about what matters. Now, I was raised to believe that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness were things that mattered. And certainly they are the unalienable rights that Jefferson wrote about in the Declaration of Independence. We will talk about how to uphold them, how they hold us up, and why that matters. Welcome to Upholding Matters. This week, we're going to talk about wood. World unraveling dissociative disorder. It took me a year of thinking about it and reading books and other descriptions of how I might go about saying what I still, even to this second, can't figure out exactly. But it's what's going on in life, what I see a lot of people with problems that the confusion seems to get worse, although there isn't a direct association to just the general mayhem society is in. And please always understand that I'm telling you, it's no better or worse in some ways than it's ever been. And it's certainly not the worst it's ever been. So we want to get a an accurate understanding of where we're at. That that's what we need. And this great course I just finished in intellectual humility had a part this week about how we form beliefs. And one of the ways we do it, other than analyze things, is what they call seemings how things seem to us. And that's what to me is the nature of what. Things just don't seem right, but we don't seem to understand exactly what it is or why it's happening. And that's where a much closer examination comes in. I found it interesting that the course, Intellectual Humility, the practice of from Coursera is broken down mainly focusing this week on religion because it is truly the most contentious argument or debate or difference of opinion we'll face but I do believe it's closely aligned with the similar politics and slash social issues, racial issues, gender issues, and all these identity issues that drive us. So we think, do they pull us? Do they push us? These are all things to consider, but certainly religion is a topic and how to bridge that gap It's marvelous to see the University of Edinburgh and philosophers in epistemology go about unraveling these techniques that will get us closer to being more intellectually humble, being more honest, being more open, being more worthy to compromise and look at things as they really are. So in the course, Dr. Dormandy talks about 
evidence weighing the policies, the ways that we can compare things and come to some common understandings of what we're even talking about. You know, ground rules, rules of the road for an actual intellectual communication, meeting of the minds and hearts, if you will. Of course, I was skeptical, and they give you these little pop-ups of your thoughts before the lecture takes place and after, and it's a pretty good immersive course. But the point is that you get to challenge some of your assumptions before you hear what the professor has to say. And I'm not sure I was in total alignment with everything. And some of my thoughts hadn't really changed because it is good to have a real procedure, techniques, research, everything showing a way to find these evidence-weighing policies that will allow you to make distinctions that help resolve conflicts. But it's been my experience in life that the most firmly entrenched fanatical types, and of course this goes to people on sports teams, you can get into fights over who is your favorite team. So you can imagine that religion and politics is at least as capable of generating that passionate response that often leads to violence. But my point really is that rarely do people want to, or at least the people that I would like to be able to communicate with the most. And these included my family. Uh, fortunately, time has spared me the conversation because most of my people, my older people, are gone. And they were the ones that I was always reluctant to discuss too deep of truth with because it offended them. They had a belief that they didn't want challenged. I've mentioned it before, my Uncle Ron, who was a frustrated wannabe preacher, and then after two heart attacks, and in his 40s, mind you, succeeded in becoming a minister. Well, that seemed like lifetimes to me as a young man watching him. And now to be 40 again and on your second career, it seems almost natural. But Uncle Ron, I loved him. He helped me quite a bit. And he slapped me in the face once when I said something about Jesus that offended him. Never once did I see him display violence, but that one thing got me slapped in the face. I was 17. So where I live is really an unusual place because I have never been in a community that is so religious. We have a Baptist college in town, and basically you cannot question the Bible. So there is no weighing of evidence or ways to discuss the validity of some of the beliefs that are harmful to the self, the community, the bigger picture, and so, yeah, how do we get these conversations started? How do we find terms that we can agree on?
It was wonderful this Monday. It was Memorial Day. And we went, my family and I, to our local cemetery for the memorial presentation. Usually there's some flag raising and saluting and some military stories. It's very glorious in the sense that if you're looking for something that unites people, you need to see the admiration displayed for those who have given their lives to defend our rights to live free. This is not a small matter. In the crowd, there are Trump supporters, there are Trump detesters, but everyone agrees on the meaning of Memorial Day and its significance. And it almost makes perfect sense to be confused in light of that clarity. We know what we appreciate. We know what built this country and what keeps us free. And yet some of the things that you hear are bewildering. Today they are upping the figures, and this is one of those things that didn't seem right from the beginning, but Puerto Rico is a territory of the United States. It's a very important place where people are Americans. And there was this idea floated with all that devastation you saw on TV that Perhaps 65 people had died in the hurricane. That almost sounds miraculous. Well, it was. And the revised figures come out to be four to 5,000. That's a lot different than 65. But why was the response so abysmal? Why was there so little concern? Of course, we saw that in Katrina but these are largely situations that are beyond our control. There could have been better planning, that's for sure. But the devastation of Katrina and the storm that wiped out Puerto Rico, these things were unavoidable and tragic and predictable. And if we can't be ready for what we know is bound to come. How can we be ready for the things that are so hard to understand? I heard somebody say today that the president must uplift us, and yet our president, our current president, appeals to the lowest common denominator in human behavior to keep you off-center, to build a defense, to say, yeah, I told you, media is biased and everyone's out to get me in this witch hunt it's really sad stuff and it, it it's troubling i really want it all to be over today there's news that korea summit might be back on i talked last time about how it was on and it's off we'll see Today, Rob Rosenstein, the assistant attorney general who became the acting attorney general after Jeff Sessions had to recuse himself from anything Russia-related, winds up possibly being a witness himself 
in this whole case where he helped write the letter but didn't comply fully with what Trump wanted to fire uh, James Comey. It also comes out that he wanted Jeff Sessions to unrecuse himself, not just the stuff of he wouldn't have hired him if he knew he was going to do it, which is a twisted logic if, if ever there was some, if you think about what that really means. It's a time and space displacement almost. But these things are getting more complicated and uh, the Michael Cohen, Trump's lawyer, tapes and uh, shredded documents. The people who watch this stuff closely find significance in these things in the sense that they seem to be heading towards a conclusion. Oh, please, Lord, please, a conclusion. I want a conclusion. I've had an aha moment, really a bright idea, and really remembering something I heard a long time ago that made sense. Uh, Wayne Dyer said in one of his programs I heard, he said, I just want to be happy. I'm at the point in my life where I just want to be happy. Now, I don't think there's any point when you wouldn't be happy or wouldn't want to be happy any age, but usually it takes, and there are, uh, there is science that shows, brain science, that it takes a while for a human being to fully mature, for their brain to fully develop. And it's hard for some people to understand. I remember being 24 and leasing out the Taekwondo school to, uh, you know, a polling place, and the ladies coming in there and, um, said something about you kids and it kind of offended me because I was I thought I was a man but the research shows that brains don't develop till they're probably 28 in males and a little sooner in females which is something to consider in itself but the idea of happiness and life liberty and the pursuit of happiness you can't have life or liberty without happiness, and happiness seems to sum it all really up. So there's a sense of personal responsibility that comes with that happiness, the ability to allow yourself to be happy, to work at being happy, to realize that being happy is the general state that most people you would like to see be in. We wish happiness for everyone including ourselves. So I was looking at things to talk about that 
would be happy. There's so much trouble and we need to shift sometimes to what is good. And that thing over the weekend with the Mali immigrant and the rescue of that baby dangling, uh, very few times do I get cracky in my voice where my excitement is so uh, unable to be restrained that it just sounds like I'm giddy. Well, when I was telling my kids about this, that's how I sounded. And I've rewatched the tape, and uh, incredible, thinking about the class I took and coming to terms. You know, I look at the thing, and it's just incredible. It, there does seem to be someone else up there that perhaps was holding on to the child to prevent him from falling just enough. It doesn't make the deed of the man who rescued the child any less heroic. But in the course, they talked about uh, having skepticism. It's always good. You want unbridled joy. And the worst thing is to have something like that be turned into something bad, exposed as a hoax or some publicity stunt. It's, uh, I don't think there's any of that. Please don't get me wrong. It's just that honest skepticism requires that you examine everything carefully and in itself what a triumph I, I was so excited and it kind of undercuts the argument that immigrants are sponges and not wanted and third world shitholes as some people have called these countries uh, that's a strike for the good Yay. Now you see the story also about Roseanne Barr. And I admired Roseanne in the beginning. If anybody remembers her stand-up bits, she started with this uh, joke about women and being servile to men and having to wash their shirts and getting the ring around the collar out. And she said, just wash your damn neck. And that's true in a way. You know, men should groom themselves better. You can't help but sweating in the collar of your shirts. I had an uncle, my aunt's husband, he used to give me all his great fancy shirts after he was done. I loved those shirts, don't get me wrong. Uh, they just weren't perfect anymore. And that's the process of normal wear and tear. But the fact that he gave them to me was probably the thing I liked the most about him. So, uh, thank you, Wayne. And so Roseanne says the stupid thing, uh, tweeted it about Valerie Jarrett, who's a dear friend of the Obamas and a trusted advisor for years, you know, way back. And it just it breaks your heart because to say that you're on Ambien, I've never taken Ambien. Uh, you know, sometimes it seems like a good idea to be able to sleep. But I haven't taken Ambien. And I know that a lot of things happen and baseball players take it because athletes too. You know, people need to be able to sleep. I get that. So, but these aren't excuses. It doesn't make you have these racist tendencies to even want to say that in the first place. I... I can't understand what would motivate even such a thought. 
But everybody came down pretty hard on it. And there seems to be this tendency to confuse coming down too hard on one side with keeping an open mind because it's indefensible but it's not something that we should dwell too long on because we just don't know so that's part of the compromise of intellectual humility you have to adjust your position to say well oh yeah I want to be happy why why would I even think about that so in the pursuit of truth, and uh, this has uh, bothered me, I, I, you know, you have to have the facts. And I have a couple of corrections from the last podcast when I was talking about uh, the referral from the Justice Department. It went to the Inspector General, not the ethics uh, person. Uh, that's a different ball of wax. And then I said something about calling somebody uh, political idiots and it was dummies that was the original word and I hope that came through because there is a difference between an idiot and a dummy maybe not that much but you could argue that of course what is hardest to argue against is the need to be happy life liberty and the pursuit of happiness what a joy it's much better to be happy it's fun to be good why wouldn't you want to be (laughs) 